Section eight of Edgewater People by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Bologna Times. Section eight Sour Sweetings. Julius Caesar Whitmore married Nellie Dunn. Miss Sarah Edgewater's mother's maiden name had been Dunn, and Nellie was her niece, her brother's daughter. Nellie and Julius. Had been born in adjoining houses in South Bar and had lived next door to each other all their lives. Their marriage had been a foregone conclusion when they were children and attended district school. There had been little romance connected with it. Nellie had simply been the only girl in South Bar whom a young man who esteemed himself as Julius Caesar Whitmore esteemed himself could marry. And Nellie, Who had not much imagination and very seldom went away from home to meet young men, did not dream of the possibility of marrying another man. Julius's father had died when he was a child. Since then, his mother had run the farm, and in a masterly manner. Julius was well to do. Nellie's father and mother, who were not especially prosperous, although they had enough to live on. Were calmly pleased that their only daughter was to marry well, as far as this world's goods were concerned. The week before the marriage, Mrs. Oliver Dunn, Nellie's mother, had driven her old gray horse over to Bar Center and called on Sarah Edgewater. I am glad Nellie is to marry Julius, she said. He is a likely young man, and there is considerable property. It will all come to Julius after his mother dies. I am glad Nellie is doing so well, said Sarah. She was very fond of Nellie and had given her a goodly stock of linen for a wedding present. There is only one thing which troubles me at all, said Nellie's mother. The Whitmores and Julius Caesar, especially, do have such a great idea of themselves, of the Whitmores. That I wonder sometimes if Nellie won't have considerable to put up with. Nellie has almost too good a disposition if she is my daughter. I am afraid she will get real mushy and be afraid to say her soul is her own before the Whitmores. Sarah Edgewater sat up majestically. Who said she are the Whitmores that they should put themselves up on a pinnacle above the Duns? The Duns are as good a family as ever lived in Bar. I don't expect even the Leicesters or the Edgewaters or the Widners. What have the Whitmores done? I really don't know, except be Whitmores, admitted Mrs. Oliver Dunn. She was a mild little woman, and in reality was somewhat intimidated herself by the Whitmores. That declared Miss Sarah Edgewater is nonsense. I will admit that Mrs. Jane Whitmore has proved herself a smart business woman. The way she has run the farm and made a success of it since her husband died is a wonder. But we all know that Sam Whitmore, while he was a good, God-fearing man, was not one to set the river on fire. And as for her, she was a Quimby, from Bar by the Sea, and her folks were poor, and her father used to keep a fish market. He failed too. Jane has shown herself smart, but she was only a Quimby, and the Quimbys were never thought so much of 
even before Bar by the Sea was what it is now. Old Josh Quimby used to come over here every Tuesday and Friday, peddling fish. He was a good, honest man, but Jane has no reason to set herself up because of her own family, and as for the Whitmores, the Whitmores have just lived in South Bar ever since anybody can remember. Julius Caesar's great-grandfather and his grandfather kept the grocery store there. Well, said Mrs. Dunn, I must say I am sorry that they do feel quite so much above other folks, because Nellie is easy put upon for a long while. Then, when she does get to asserting herself, she is more set about it than a great many people who are flying out in a temper every other minute. But Nellie and Julius have grown up together, and they do think a lot of each other. And Julius is a good, steady young man, and of course I am glad he has some property. Yes, said Sarah, love is all very well. and I have never believed in marriage without it, but property does keep love from getting into snarls sometimes. Mrs. Oliver Dunn rose to go. Of course, you will not repeat what I have said about the Whitmores, Sarah, said she. I have never repeated anything except the multiplication table, replied Sarah with dignity. Because I am really pleased about it, I am glad to have Nellie settled. Her father hasn't got much, and Nellie isn't the kind of girl to battle with the world. It is all right, and what we have expected all these years, and very likely Julius, although he does seem to hold his head pretty high, may be easy to get on with. He sets his eyes by Nellie. And as for Nellie, well, she thinks Julius is just about right. But. But what? Mrs. Dunn looked puzzled before her own reflections. I don't know. said she but sometimes i wonder if it isn't safer for people to marry when they haven't known each other so long i know they say it's just the other way around but i don't know sometimes it seems to me that julius and nelly don't make any more of getting married than they used to of going to school together both of them are as calm as clocks about it they have always ticked and they go right on ticking Nellie never gets all wrought up because Julius doesn't come over or is late, and I don't think Julius would get jealous if she walked right off to a meeting with another man before his eyes. There isn't one bit of romance about it. I never did think much of romance. You never got married. A queer expression came over Sarah Edgewater's handsome elderly face. She was thinking of her own life. Maybe that is the reason, she agreed. I am glad the wedding dress has turned out all right. It is beautiful, declared Nellie's mother with enthusiasm. Of course, Nellie and I thought it would be more sensible for her to be married either in a traveling costume or something simple that she could wear afterward. But Julius and his mother were set on the white satin and lace for the church wedding. And Nellie is young, and she looks lovely in it. It will be a pity to lay it away, that beautiful satin, for she can never wear it in South Bar. No, she can't, said Sarah. She might as well think of wearing a crown and scepter, but I'll give a party in her honor, and she can wear it in Bar Center once, anyway. Nellie's mother beamed. That is real good of you, Sarah, she said. 
when mrs dunn told her daughter nelly after her return nelly who was sewing on some wedding finery did not seem much elated i think that white satin dress is too much dress for bar center said she your aunt sarah will have a large party i think dear i don't care not one girl has anything as fine as that white satin to wear and i don't think i shall wear mine oh well you can wear that pretty white net with the blue sash said mrs dunn that will be much more suitable said nelly nelly was a lovely girl very blonde with a sweet expression it was only very seldom that a sudden firm set of her mouth and a steady look in her pretty blue eyes hinted of possible resources of firmness in her character when she alluded to the white satin dress her mouth was set and her blue eyes were steady she did not at all approve of the white satin she had yielded because it was her time for yielding but she had never approved after the ceremony that white satin will be folded away said she and it will never be worn again i have told julius so what did he say only laughed he doesn't care he has his way about it nelly spoke half caressingly half sarcastically he is a man and men are different said her mother and he wants you to look nice and so does his mother his mother wants me to look nice because i am marrying her son declared nelly i suppose julius does want me to look nice because he is fond of me but his mother mrs dunn looked anxiously at nelly she was sorry that the young married pair were to live with julius's mother she would have been equally sorry if they had been going to live with her much as she loved her daughter she had a prejudice against such arrangements however there was no way out of it mrs jane whitmore could not be banished from her own property nor could julius build another house nelly was married in the church the little white congregational meeting-house in south bar she swept up the aisle in her white satin dress to a jiggling wedding march played on the little melodeon by one of her schoolmates etta briggs she heard people whisper she was aware that she was ridiculous but of course she was happy she was glad when the ceremony was over and the reception which julius had insisted upon having in the large parlor of his mother's house with a caterer and colored waiters from leicester then she could slip out of her gorgeous wedding array into her blue cloth traveling suit with its chiffon blouse after the wedding journey sarah edgewater gave the promised party for nelly it was then that nelly was guilty of her first deception toward her husband not a word had been said about it but she knew that he expected her to wear her white satin wedding dress after supper she slipped across the yard there was a narrow strip of yard between the dunn and whitmore places and in the yard stood an old but prolific apple tree it was in full bloom when nelly hurried under its spreading scented boughs she had said that she wanted her mother to fasten her dress both julius and his mother jane whitmore thought she referred to the white satin but nelly clad herself in the white net with a pale blue sash and girdle and returned to her new home enveloped in her pongee motor-coat julius was waiting for her he wore a linen duster over his dress suit and sat at the wheel in his touring-car you had better sit on the back seat on account of your white satin dress said julius 
there may be some oil in front nelly said not a word she got into the tonneau and sat there waiting for her mother-in-law who soon came out in her long black silk coat over the black lace gown she had worn at the wedding take care of your white satin nelly she said nelly was saved the necessity of replying for her own mother came hurrying across the yard and got in nelly's father was not well indeed it was the beginning of the illness of which he died six months later although then it was regarded as only a slight ailment nelly's mother who had been a beauty and was still charming wore a lavender silk which dated back to her girlhood and had been made over for the wedding she had no proper wrap to cover it nothing except a plain little black coat mrs whitmore eyed her with veiled disdain it is a pity you have to sit on the front seat or else crush nelly's white satin she said for there is always likely to be oil in the front of the car nelly made an involuntary movement then checked herself in her gentle fashion she was a fearless soul but she was becoming intimidated before the situation it would not injure her dress not in the least she preferred to sit beside julius but she lacked courage to say so her mother bent her head covered with an ancient white brussels lace scarf and got on the front seat she gathered up her lavender skirts carefully i don't think there is any oil on the seat she remarked with a gentle quaver she also was becoming intimidated before the situation what would jane whitmore say what would julius whitmore say when nelly's coat was removed and it was discovered that she was not wearing the white satin it was worse because the material had been given to nelly by her prospective mother-in-law what would be said nelly and her mother were the first comers when they removed their wraps in sarah edgewater's spare chamber mrs dunn looked at nelly lovely in her delicate white net and blue which brought out the blue of her eyes what will they say she quavered nelly smiled mildly i don't know she said i almost wish you had worn the white satin i don't replied nelly firmly nobody else who is coming will wear anything so elegant eva dennison who is a bride too has nothing except a light blue muslin the white satin is not suitable i don't know what they will say said mrs dunn uneasily mrs dunn who had lived near the whitmores for years had failed to understand them or jane quimby who had married a whitmore if she had understood them she would not have wondered concerning what they would say she would have known that they would say nothing silence was the weapon in the armory of the whitmore family it was subtle powerful almost deadly when nelly and her mother went downstairs into the pretty old room where sarah edgewater her niece amy densmore with her husband dr densmore dr tom ellerton her nephew and his young sisters margie violetta and imogen were assembled with nelly's husband and mother-in-law jane whitmore there occurred at once a curious thing partaking of the nature of a full stop in a musical composition mrs dunn had been relieved that jane whitmore who had a weak heart and did not like to climb stairs had removed her wraps 
in the hall below, thereby postponing matters. Now she wished that the discovery had been made in the dressing room with only the three present. There was something terrifying in this hushed and mysterious gathering. Mrs. Jane Whitmore merely looked at Nellie, slim and pretty and girlish in her simple white net and blue ribbons, but the look was formidable. Julius also looked, and from their expressions, which so exactly resembled each other, he and his mother might have been one soul. Neither said a word. Not at that time, nor at any future time, did Jane Whitmore say one word about Nellie's not wearing her white satin dress, and not for years did Julius say one word. After that almost infinitesimal suspense, which was comprehended by only four people, there came a general greeting and conversation. The other guests arrived, and nothing ominous happened. Julius Whitmore's manner toward his young wife was quite what it should have been, so that people going home from the party that night said that Nellie Dunn had certainly married well, that she had a loving, handsome husband, and that his mother evidently welcomed her as her own daughter. Nellie and her mother, going home with Julius and his mother in the car, talked of the party, of the people who had been present, of Sarah's kindness in giving it. Mrs. Dunn began to feel relieved. When she was in her own home, she told her husband, Oliver Dunn, that she had felt a little anxious because Nellie had not worn her white satin when it was so evident that Julius and his mother had expected it, but she guessed it was all right. What did they say? asked Oliver Dunn, hollow-eyed and flushed with the fever which had begun to sap his life. Nothing. Oliver frowned. When Wintmore say nothing, Look out, he said. His wife looked anxious. You don't think? I think it will be a long time before something worth more than that white satin dress is forgotten. Nellie had better have worn it. She thought it looked too grand, as if she were putting on airs before people about marrying a rich man. What Julius thinks and what his mother thinks is what Nellie has to consider now, said her father. I wish she had worn it. The next morning, Nellie came over. Julius had gone to Bar by the Sea, and his mother to Boston. Nellie was alone with her mother for quite a while. When she came downstairs, she kept her face averted so that her father should not see that she had been weeping. She hurried home. She said she had to see to the luncheon before Julius got home. Everybody in South Bar except the Whitmores had dinner at noon. They had luncheon. Poor Oliver Dunn. had seen Nellie's tear-stained face, and the minute she was out of hearing, asked, What is the matter? The white satin dress? Mrs. Dunn sat down opposite her husband and returned his anxious look. I suppose it is, she said. Oh, dear, how people do act over nothing. You suppose? Don't you know? Doesn't Nellie know? No, she doesn't. She thinks it is that. because there's nothing else. She says they went right on talking pleasant enough last night, but when she and Julius went upstairs, you know Jane sleeps down on account of her heart, Julius just went into the room and began gathering together his brush and comb and business suit that he was going to wear this morning, and she said, Why, Julius, what are you taking all those things away for? And Julius says, Real pleasant. Oh, I want them early in the morning. I must go over to Bar by the Sea before nine. 
and nelly says sort of wondering but what has that got to do with moving your things she says she never dreamed anything he and his mother had fooled her so appearing so pleasant then julius said why i want them in the north chamber where i'm going to sleep tonight i want to have them handy of course nelly said she just stood staring at him and he kissed her and said good-night with his arms full of clothes and went out and into the north chamber and she heard him turn the key in the lock she says she wouldn't have gone near that door to save her life but his turning the key in the lock about broke her heart she just cried all night and fell asleep toward morning and the automobile going out of the drive woke her up she says his mother acted just the same as ever at breakfast but all the time she had a feeling as if there was something underneath mrs whitmore came to her to see if her bonnet was on straight before the carriage came to take her to the train and said good-bye and wanted to know if she had errands for her to do in boston you couldn't have told what it was but there was something nelly says if they would only talk if they would only scold her for not wearing that white satin she wouldn't mind but this is awful it is what i was afraid of all the time said nelly's father the whitmores have got for temper what corresponds to dumb ague it does seem as if a woman had a right to say what dress she would wear said mrs dunn pitifully of course she had a right and the right to wear it too that isn't the question the question is whether having your own way about such a little thing is worth what i'm afraid the poor child has got to suffer to pay for it nelly has a will of her own too declared mrs dunn she will stand a lot but there was always a limit with nelly yes there was but she'll be pretty fine ground down before she gets to it said oliver dunn he looked pale and his wife got some port wine for him don't you worry father said she if the worst comes to worst she can come home said oliver faintly sipping the wine there isn't much but there'll be enough for you too if you're prudent mrs dunn said nothing she rose and went out of the room in the kitchen she leaned against the wall and wept silently she was much alarmed about oliver's health and with reason he died in about six months time the last words he said to his wife were about nelly don't let her put up with too much he whispered she is married and she must put up with all she can but don't let them smother all the life out of poor nelly take her home nelly's mother promised and wept there was no need to conceal her tears then oliver and his wife had known the truth for months after the funeral mrs dunn told nelly what her father had said father thought that of course you ought to put up with everything reasonable she said your poor father and i and i hope you feel the same way always considered marriage vows very binding and sacred but you know i do mother interrupted nelly listen dear to what i have to say i think your father felt a little afraid that matters might go too far that you might lose your spirit and he told me and i want to tell you that he felt and i feel that in such a case your old home is open to you i married julius said nelly and i can't let such a silly thing as my wearing 
or not wearing a white satin dress make a difference between us so far as i am concerned of course i can't help what julius does or his mother is it just the same nelly nodded she did not look particularly cast down she had become accustomed to things and besides she was a brave girl they don't say anything not one word julius just occupies the north chamber he has moved all his clothes there and as for his mother she has gone back to her old place at the table you don't sit at the head opposite julius no i came down to breakfast weeks ago and found her in my place i never told you i didn't say anything i sat down at the side everybody was pleasant but i knew they were watching me i knew abby waiting on table was watching me that is one of the worst things about it the servants gossip and watch but they hear nothing nelly raised her head proudly i never said one word any more than the whitmores do she said and i am perfectly pleasant the worst of it is i know they don't like that they want me to ask questions and complain and cry and i am afraid that in the end this ridiculous playing at being enemies will come true i am afraid julius won't care so much for me but i can't give up when i know i am not in the wrong you never said a word about the white satin dress nelly flushed i did just once one night when julius was going into the north chamber i said and i spoke loud so anybody who was listening could hear i said if i had dreamed that you felt so strongly about it i would have worn that white satin dress to the party then i just said good night julius and he said good night and his voice sounded like ice slivering then he shut his door and that was all i think you have said enough i do too and i did not put on mourning for poor father because i knew julius and his mother don't approve of mourning here i am wearing bright colors your father would think that was best yes i know he would half sobbed nelly then she said i have more to mourn for than poor father perhaps perhaps you haven't they always treat you pleasantly yes but the pleasantness has stings and they make me feel it oh mother a girl is safer with her own father and mother nobody ever cares quite so much it isn't right for you to talk so you are married nelly in her pale pink muslin sitting opposite her mother looked suddenly old and stern yes she said i am married and i know that married love is sacred and marriage vows are sacred but married love can be cruel in ways that other love would never dream of suddenly nelly's face relaxed she smiled across at her mother after all mother she said it might be so much worse i really don't mind a bit not sitting at the head of the table and i don't mind julius's mother running the house as if i were visiting there and i don't mind julius's being so queer in little ways as i did at first i think it will all come right in the end mother she said and rose to go home when she entered the whitmore house however she found a more active grievance 
the whitmores certainly had strange tempers it was as if they had grown weary of subtle animosity which had seemed to fail of its mark nelly found the house in disorder the two maids under the superintendence of jane whitmore were moving her clothes and all her personal belongings from her chamber to another a small one exposed to the western sun and they all knew that nelly who was of a nervous temperament dreaded the hot afternoons and nights of summer directly under the windows of this new chamber was a tin roof which reflected the sunlight the heat would be almost intolerable at times nelly stood still watching the maids carrying her clothes across the hall to the small room from which emanated a close hot smell she was deadly pale abby and susan are moving your clothes my dear said jane whitmore pleasantly why said nelly in a quiet voice your husband thinks it better for you to occupy the west room replied jane whitmore and not a discord disturbed the even cadence of her voice she was a large handsome woman with her rippling hair and her voluminous skirts so finely disposed that she gave the effect of a statue julius came upstairs and stopped and stared i am telling nelly that you think the west chamber is a better room for her said his mother for one second julius was man enough to flinch then he nodded made an inarticulate noise in his throat went into the north chamber and slammed the door had julius not slammed the door nelly would have gone home to her mother that night tossing unable to sleep in her hot room she said to herself poor julius he is sorry for me he can't quarrel with his mother and he can't give up because he is a whitmore she could not realize that her whole duty as a wife seemed to her husband and his mother to hang upon those shimmering satin draperies the next morning she looked forlorn as she sat at the breakfast table julius cast a sly glance at her and his face lengthened but nelly did not see it it was a very hot summer nelly's room was intolerable during the days whenever she could she stole across the yard to her mother's and lay on the sofa in the cool north parlor she did not tell her mother about her change of rooms julius's slamming the door had made her jealous of his honor with regard to that but as the hot days passed one after another and the terrible close nights and nelly's room became as a furnace with the direct heat of the sun and the reflection of the tin roof she grew noticeably thinner and her beauty waned her pretty face was blotched and discolored her blue eyes were red-rimmed one unusually hot night as nelly was passing into her room julius who had gone up some time before stood in the door of her old one nelly had lingered as long as she dared down on the front porch because she so dreaded entering her heated room you sleep in your old room tonight nelly said julius in a curious voice it was more like the voice of a reluctantly relenting father than that of a husband a father who feels that he should chide yet yields through sheer pity nelly looked piteously up in julius's face he stood aside to allow her to pass i have uh, taken your dressing things in there myself he said awkwardly and went suddenly with a muttered good-night into his own room 
Nellie's old room was filled with a cool wind. She was so spent by the heat that she undressed quickly and got into bed, grateful for the release from her martyrdom in the roasting chamber opposite. She was almost asleep when she heard a quick step on the stairs, a quick, heavy step that seldom sounded there, that of her mother-in-law. She heard the door of the opposite room opened and shut, then the door of her husband's room. She heard quite distinctly Jane Whitmore say to Julius, as if he had been a little boy in knickerbockers, Julius Whitmore, get up and come downstairs. I want to talk to you. She heard a growl of remonstrance, then again the insistent voice. Julius Caesar Whitmore, you get up at once and come downstairs. Then Nellie heard Jane go down, and presently Julius following her. The windows were all open. Immediately a storm of tongues raged in the room below. For once the silent rage of the Whitmores was broken. Nellie could not distinguish anything except an occasional word, but she listened to a stormy nocturne of temper and obstinacy. Then, after a long time, she heard Julius come upstairs and enter his room, and she fell asleep. The Whitmore's man was dragging trunks down from the attic early the next morning. The maids left the housework after breakfast and assisted Jane Whitmore with her packing. Nellie, frightened, ran across the yard to her mother's house. Julius had hardly even said good morning to her and looked deadly pale, as did his mother. Nellie sped under the great sweet apple tree whose branches hung over both yards and entered her mother's kitchen. Mrs. Dunn was making little sponge cakes after an old recipe which Nellie loved. Nellie sat down and said nothing. She looked spent. Her mother pulled a chair up beside her, sat down, and took her hands. Now, Nellie Dunn, she said, you tell your own mother what is the matter. I don't know, Nellie replied in a listless voice. Don't know? I don't know. That is the worst of it. I have always heard that when people thought other people acted crazy, they were crazy themselves. What have they done now? inquired Mrs. Dunn in a resigned voice. I don't know. Why, you must know something. Nellie hesitated. She did not want to tell her mother about her being forced to sleep in the hot west chamber. She remembered that angry, sympathizing bang at Julius's door. And she felt disloyal. Julius was really not to blame, said she. I never have thought he was the main one to blame, said Mrs. Dunn. Jane Whitmore can stir up as much mischief as the evil one. Well, said Nellie, Julius's mother moved my things into the west chamber. Not that hot little room. Mrs. Dunn's delicate old face flushed angrily. When? A few weeks ago. And you have been sleeping in that stifling little room all through this terrible weather when you have always felt the heat so much? Nellie nodded miserably. Julius did not like my being there, she said. Then why didn't he stop it? I don't know. I know. Everybody has always knuckled down to Jane Whitmore, but this about the room is nothing new then. What is it now? Last night it was so hot. That Julius told me to go back to my old room, and she was terribly upset about it. They quarreled a long time. She called Julius downstairs and had it out with him. 
and now this morning she is packing all her trunks she is putting in everything she owns i even saw her packing vases and books and-i don't believe she will ever come back i suppose she is going to live with her sister out west her sister clara who lost her husband a while ago i don't see why on earth you are upset if jane whittemore is going away said mrs dunn i should think you would feel as if now you had a little chance of living in peace with your husband nelly shook her head hopelessly why not julius is his mother's son he is harder to me this morning than i have ever known him he hasn't said a word but he acts and looks hard he will never forgive me for coming between him and his mother coming between looks to me as if you had been taken by the shoulders and fairly pushed between i don't see what you have done nelly i think it is time for you to come home nelly shook her head not yet i must wait a little longer mother it is a dreadful step to take well maybe you are right agreed her mother when nelly returned to the whittemore house she heard voices abby and sarah the maids were talking nelly entered quickly and the voices stopped she was so comforted by the kind looks of the girls that she nearly lost her self-control as she went out of the room she heard susan say poor little thing and abby reply for my part i am glad the old lady is gone nelly was not sure whether she was glad or not it was something to feel that she would not have to encounter that subtle smiling disapproval and antagonism but she feared lest julius who after all was his mother's son and must regret her leaving home might not visit it all upon his wife soon she was to know that he did he never uttered a word of reproach nelly was reinstated in her own room she became the mistress of the house she sat at the head of her table but she knew as well as if julius had shouted the words in her ears that he felt he had made a mistake in marrying her she had brought according to his reasoning dissension into his home he went quietly about he attended to his farm he read the newspaper and books on gardening of an evening he retired early to his north room and his lights shone out until late at night under the door-sill julius read much in these days he never spoke unkindly to nelly he never even gave her an unkind look but cold politeness was worse than open unkindness nelly bore with the situation a year then when the summer had come again and the apples on the tree in the yard were just forming she spoke out it was after dinner one hot night she called julius into the parlor which was rather a magnificent room after jane whittemore's ideas it was resplendent with red silk damask lace draperies one or two really good oil paintings royal worcester vases and a parian marble statue in a corner nelly almost never entered it she called julius in there now because it was the most isolated room in the house thin and pale and pretty in her pale blue muslin she stood before her husband at the end of the faintly glowing room and spoke julius she said i think the time has come for me to speak i have been silent a long time julius stared at the wall over her head 
The paper had large gold and silver arabesques. Well, he said, I think you had better send for your mother to come home, Julius. Julius lowered his eyes to her face. Why? Because I am going over to mother's to live. Then Julius spoke. His voice was terrible, although not raised above conversational pitch. Go, he said. The room faced the yard, and the old apple tree tossed its fruit laden branches in the gathering dusk. Julius looked at it. When that sweet apple tree has sour apples under it, then I will ask you to come back. Yes, Julius, said Nellie. I will allow you enough to live on. My father left enough for mother and me to live on, Nellie replied with mild pride and fluttered out of the room. She gathered a few belongings together and crossed the yard to her mother's. I have come home at last, mother, she said. She was curiously calm, although her mother wept. I knew you couldn't stand it, sobbed Mrs. Dunn. You must never think Julius said or did an unkind thing, said Nellie. I don't know what you call unkind. I don't suppose he beat you. I am going to live with you here, mother, and we shall be happy together, but we must never talk about Julius, said Nellie. Mrs. Dunn pursed her lips. I suppose I can ask if Jane Whitmore is coming back, she remarked in a slightly aggrieved tone. I suppose she is. I told Julius he had better send for her. He ought to have somebody to keep the house. I should think Abby could do it. I suppose she could, but it seems natural that Julius should want his mother back and would send for her. I wonder if he will. Said Mrs. Dunn with a queer expression. For a while, South Bar hummed with gossip. Then it was quiet. Julius did not send for his mother. At all events, she did not come. Sometimes Nellie watched furtively when Julius moved about his yard. It seemed to her he grew thin and that the elasticity went from his step. She herself looked better than she had. One day during the next winter, Julius in his car met her walking, with her cheeks glowing pink above her dark furs. He thought her lovelier than he had ever seen her. Julius was wretchedly unhappy. His mother wrote, proposing that she return. He sent her a large check and advised her to remain with her sister. It seemed to him that he could not endure the mere sight of his mother's handsome, complacently triumphant face. Winter passed, and spring. And summer. The sweet apple tree in the yard was bent low with ripe fruit, and the ground was covered with windfalls before the end came. There was a moonlight night when Nellie could not sleep, and got up and put on a white wrapper and wandered about the upper part of her mother's house. She came into the spare chamber which faced the Whitmore house and stood at the window, shrinking back behind a fold of the muslin curtain, staring. Down in the yard, a man was working furiously beneath the old apple tree. He was gathering up the windfalls in a basket and wheeling them away in a barrow. Nellie watched, wondering. She recognized Julius. He continued to work with a sort of frenzy. Finally, the ground beneath the tree was quite clear on his side of the fence. Then, to Nellie's intense wonder, he came wheeling more apples, which he scattered on the ground, 
It was nearly dawn before he stopped and entered the house. Nelly put a dark cloak over her white wrapper and stole downstairs softly. She crept along the fence, crouching low that she might not be seen. She caught up an apple from the ground where Julius had strewn them and fled back to her room. She locked herself in. She tested the apple. It was sour, with an intense sourness. But it seemed to Nelly to have the sweetness of the whole world and life itself, typifying, as it did, the surrender of a human soul to love. When morning came, there was a hoar frost over the earth. Everything was as brilliant as if powdered with jewels. Nelly's mother remarked that she was glad that they had gathered the last flowers in the garden the night before and filled the vases. It is a perfectly beautiful morning, said Nelly, and her voice sounded as if she were singing. Her mother regarded her wonderingly. She thought Nelly was growing prettier and prettier, that now she could not be grieving for Julius Whitmore. After the breakfast dishes were cleared away, Nelly went upstairs to her room. She stole into the spare chamber and peered out. She knew without seeing that Julius's eyes were on the house, watching. With the foolishness of a man, the childish foolishness which she loved, he was actually watching for her to go out and pick up one of those sour apples and taste it. Presently, Nelly came down, clad magnificently in her white wedding gown. Her mother stared and paled. Nelly Dunn, are you out of your senses? she cried. Listen, mother, said Nelly, and she related the incident of the apples. Well, I never, said Mrs. Dunn. Nelly emerged from the front door. At the same time, the door in the next house opened, and Julius, pale and trembling and smiling, came out. Nelly moved to meet him under the apple branches, tall and stately and beautiful, shimmering in her white satin wedding gown, her golden head gleaming, her face full of love. End of section eight.